even if I didn't figure out nutritionally how to be a super lean runner or have six-pack abs, I was fully capable of figuring out how to make peace with my body, which was doing this incredible thing of growing a tiny human inside me. That was Mallory Richard, and this is episode nine of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Mallory Richard is somewhat of a legend in the Manitoban trail and ultra running community, although she would be the last person to admit that. She runs for the North Face and has quite the incredible running resume. Notably, she has won the Superior 100 Miler four times and is the course women's record holder. She placed 11th at Western States in 2017 and represented Canada at the World Trail Running Championships in Portugal in 2016. In June, Mallory and her husband Sean welcomed a baby girl into their household, which has meant some significant life changes for her amidst a global pandemic. Mallory is intense, yet incredibly humble, and possibly the nicest person you'll ever meet. This is a jam-packed episode in which we talk about elite competition, her struggles with an eating disorder, and becoming a mother runner. Without further ado, let's talk to Mallory. So Mallory, Carolyn and I are so excited to welcome you onto the Inspired Souls podcast today. Thank you for agreeing to be one of our guests. Hey, thank you for having me. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm so excited. It's totally going to be fun. Um, There's so much that I want to ask you and catch up with you on. A lot has happened in your life in the last year, and uh, I can't wait to talk to you about it. But before we get into all of that, um, I'm hoping that maybe you can just tell us a little bit, give us a bit of a summary about yourself and take us way back to the day that you started running. When did you become a runner? Sure. I'm Mallory Richard. I'm 35. I live in Winnipeg and I have been here since about 2007, I want to say. My hometown is Peterborough, Ontario, but I moved out here thinking I was moving for two years uh, to attend grad school. And then, you know, Winnipeg has its way. Manitoba as a whole just has a knack. And you and I have talked about this before, Kim, because I think it's done the same to you where uh, you didn't realize how much you love it. And in my case, uh, friendly Manitoba, I I realized that was true. And I met a friendly Manitoban and I I guess he and I are putting down roots here now. Uh, I started running a while after I moved to Manitoba. So if I got here in 2007, I was uh, just putting the finishing touches on grad school in 2011 because it took me a really long time to do my master's. And I was uh, working at the Human Rights Museum doing research and a co-worker said to a group of us, we should all run the uh, half marathon at the Manitoba Marathon together. And I liked that idea and that challenge. And uh, we didn't end up doing it as a group thing, but I I stuck with it and I started running and, and I did do the half marathon and I knew nothing about running at that point. I remember it was So I was such a newbie. I had just gotten a training plan online and I knew so little about what to expect that I didn't know that you had to go to 
uh, like the pre-race kit pickup. So the morning of the race, I, you know, found a volunteer who let me know my mistake and she wrote my race number on a piece of paper just so that I could cross, you know, like start the race. Oh, wow. I love that story. So you started running as an adult then? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't run at all. Um, like, I did the typical grade school cross country that everyone does. And I remembered liking it. So that probably helped me be willing to give it a try as an adult. But it had been years since I had done any kind of uh, organized sport or consistent, you know, going to the gym training practice. So can I ask how your experience was in that first Manitoba half marathon? I loved it. It was uh, a lot of fun. I I feel like all things considered, my pacing was fairly decent. I finished around 157, I want to say. I don't know for sure because, again, I, I didn't have a, a chip on me. Uh, but somewhere there is a photo of me crossing the finish line. So, you know, we could get a rough time of when I finished there. And I just remember thinking it was so neat how many people were on the course and uh, and how many people were along the course to cheer people on. Uh, I'm sure all the Winnipeg runners know it, but somewhere along the route, there's a group of people that were serving beer. I didn't stop to get any, but just the sense of that and the people that were performing music and holding signs, I loved it. The Manitoba Marathon definitely has a very special vibe for sure. So it doesn't surprise me that you are hooked right from the get-go. So, you know, jumping forward to the fact that you are now like a badass trail runner, um, did you run roads for a while before you got into trails or like what came next? What came after that first half marathon? Uh, so I switched to trails almost immediately after that. Uh, I did the half marathon and I loved it. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to be a runner. I'm going to keep running. And I picked up a, an issue of Canadian Running Magazine and there was an article in it about uh, a woman who became and still is like my trail running hero, Ellie Greenwood. And it talked about how she had set the course record at the Canadian death race, which is what 125 kilometers over a few mountains in Grand Cache, Alberta. And she did it while eating dill pickle chips and drinking Coke. And I just remember at the time thinking, wait a second. So I like running now and I love junk food and I love the wilderness. Like I can combine all of those things. And, uh, you know, like two weeks later I went out and I bought a pair of trail shoes and decided I was going to be a trail runner. The, the transition wasn't easy. Uh, the first trail run I did was in, uh, Spruce Woods Provincial Park. And I picked the route that is now my favorite trail, the, the Epinet loop, but I didn't realize that, like hills make it so much harder. And so, uh, you know, if I could run 21 kilometers on the roads and feel okay, 21 kilometers on hilly, sandy trails just, uh, you know, was a lot tougher. And I was trying to tackle something like the full 40K loop that day. So uh, it it really humbled me and like beat me to a pulp, but in that way that made me need to come back for more. You know, that's that's kind of a recurring thing amongst trail runners and ultra runners is that type two fun kind of addiction. <laughs> yeah, we seem to be gluttons for punishment. Yeah, a lot of runners are. So um, you right away jumped into almost marathon distances in your trail running at Spruce Woods Park. Um, 
and quite quickly excelled at it. Did you know how good you were at running Mallory right off the bat? No, no, I had no context. And I don't know that I was good at uh, trail running right off the bat, but I liked it and was willing to stick with it. And uh, the trail running community, it's probably also true of the road running community. And I just didn't spend time in the road running community. Uh, But among trail runners, they're so supportive that I think I came upon trail running at a time in my life where I was looking for something to feel good at and connect with a group of people. So when I did my first 50 kilometer race, which was also in Spruce Woods Provincial Park, and I was hanging around at the finish line and uh, the women who finished ahead of me uh, and like they beat me by a wide margin and they even ran with their dogs for the full time. So like my first ultra Uh, I was beat by dogs. Uh, I was not good to start, but they were so encouraging that it made me feel like, well, whether or not I'm good at this now, I could be, and I want to keep doing it. And then uh, Dwayne Sandal, who put on that race, launched a trail running clinic, and he just makes everyone feel like a rock star. So uh, I started to get confidence through that. And actually, when I first moved to Manitoba, I Googled. So I came from BC, and I admit I was a BC snob when I moved here. And I Googled trail running Manitoba, and Trails Manitoba came up. That was really the only organization that existed. And there you were as one of the, I don't know whether you could call it founding members or um, board members of Trails Manitoba. How did you get involved in that? Uh, so for the longest time, Trail Run Manitoba was, uh, like a, a small operation of Dwayne Sandal and his wife, Natalie Duhamel, but they needed volunteers to, you know, run aid stations, things like that. And then when they had a kid, uh, you know, to maintain their sanity, they realized that it would make sense to bring a few more people on board. So they kind of formed a, a, a board of core volunteers who would step in and, uh, you know, to, like officially rope us in, put our names on the website to give us like credit and, um, you know, like motivation to stick around. And so, yes, my name would have been on there for that. So can you tell us a little bit about your racing history in trails? Like you mentioned the Spruce Woods. Am I pronouncing that right? That one? Yeah. Was that 50K? Okay. That's right. And then what yes. did you do from there? Uh, I'd love to hear kind of the the evolution because it just sounds like most people that get into trail running, like they start with that 50K distance, right, Kim? And <laughs> it yes. escalates from there. So so what did you do? Uh, I did the same thing. So I started with a 50K and I did that before I did a marathon. Um, and again, going back to that theme of I did not know what I was doing. I ran uh, the Spruce Woods 50K uh, the weekend before May Long in 2012 and loved it and thought, all right, well, maybe I'll run the Manitoba Marathon. So the next week I thought, oh, well, it's shorter. I should probably start doing speed work. So a week after my first 50K, I started doing speed work and I did the Manitoba Marathon and enjoyed it and finished it. Uh, And then immediately thereafter got injured. Uh, And so it wasn't until uh, about a year and a half later, like the, the end of 2013, that I did an ultra again. 
and I did uh, a 50 miler in Ontario. Um, it was the Halliburton Forest 50 mile, I want to oh, say. Oh, you've done that. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty course and it had the benefit of being quite close to my hometown. So it worked out well that way. And then again, wow, this walk down memory lane is getting a little awkward where I'm just being reminded of all of the times I have made what in retrospect, I'm like, what was I thinking? (laughs) So I ran my first 50 miler. And then the very next day, got in a car and drove over the course of two days from Peterborough, which is near Toronto, all the way to Winnipeg. And uh, I was carpooling in with like, there was four of us in the vehicle. And I was always in the back of a a truck with like fold down seats. So they were not comfortable. Uh, So I think I got injured again after that one too, because again, uh, I now know that uh, you should not run 50 miles and then drive for 27 hours over two days immediately afterwards. (laughs) Some lessons we can only learn the hard way, right? That's right. But hopefully, just in case there's anyone listening to this that didn't know already, you shouldn't do that. Like, please just learn from my mistake. (laughs) Okay, so you ran a 50 miler. What was next? And then after I took some time to recover, I decided I wanted to uh, just throw myself into the 100 mile distance. I, when I first started running, I did not even know that the human body was physically capable of running for a hundred miles nonstop. And I just loved that idea of doing what felt impossible. Um, because I think that's what we all run for. I'm guessing, or at least personally, I, I love running to reset my expectations and, you know, do things that a couple years before I wouldn't have believed could be done. And, and for me, the 100 mile distance really represented that. So I uh, signed up for the 100 miler at Spruce Woods and it would be three loops of the Epinet Trail plus uh, a little jaunt on the Yellow Quill Trail and a back access road. So three loops of that. And I had a good feeling going in that I would finish the distance and enjoy it because I liked that trail and a lot of my friends were in the race too. And uh, sure enough, I did finish. I finished faster than I ever would have expected to uh, under 21 hours. And so that was in 2014, which is back when you could register for some races like, you know, that season, you didn't have to enter lotteries for all the big races at that time. So after that, I realized I wanted to do superior Uh, which is another 100-mile race in Minnesota on the north shore of Lake Superior. And so it's pre-Cambrian Shield, lots of rocks and roots. And that was probably the first 100-mile race I went into with a sense of, you know what, I've got some potential, I can do this. And I had also started working with a coach at that time. So, So that was really neat too. I was starting to know a bit of what I was doing. I I say a bit because depending on how many other races of mine we cover, you'll hear plenty more rookie mistakes, but you know, it was still a turning point. You don't become the runner you are today without the rookie mistakes, right? Exactly. So superior, let's talk about superior Mallory. You have a very intimate relationship with that race and that course. And one could say that you own that race and that course. You've ran it five times. I believe you've won it four times. 
and you are currently the course record holder, not just the female record holder, correct? Uh, no, I am the female course record holder. Oh, the, okay. uh, the men's course record is significantly faster. Okay. Well, that's still pretty awesome. So um, what, that first year, did you win it the first time you ran it? Yeah. And I did not see that coming. Uh, I was absolutely just running my own race and taking things one block at a time. Uh, I had a rough patch overnight where I was tired and a bit emotional and in a bad mood, but I made it through the night and unbeknownst to me had been making up some distance on the woman who was in the lead, uh, who had won it before April Anselmo, a really excellent runner. And I don't know precisely what happened, but plenty of people win ultras in this way, uh, because they call, they call ultra marathons often a race of attrition. And so her race took a turn for the worse and she got reduced to walking at some point. And so with about 13 miles to go, I caught her. Um, and I think she was going to drop out at the, the next aid station too. So, uh, it was a, a big surprise and it, it felt surreal. I didn't even necessarily feel like I deserved it. Cause one of the last legs of the race, uh, my now husband was pacing me and he was like, how is this the pace you go to be in the lead at one of these? Because it was just so <laughs> slow. Um, and that might be one of the reasons why I keep going back to this race is, uh, you know, I feel like no matter how many times I do it, there will always be something to get better at and some segment to run a little bit faster or smarter or tougher. And then in addition to that, just the fact that the people at the race are so friendly that I feel like I've made friends there and going to that event every year is a bit of a, a reunion now. I'm pausing because Carolyn, do you want to ask a question? I'm trying to just take this all in because if I'm following on the timeline correctly, you started running in 2007 a half marathon on the road and now it's 2014 and you're winning a hundred mile race. Am I hearing that correctly? Uh, 2007 is when I moved to Manitoba, but I didn't really start running until 2011. Oh, so it's an even tighter uh, so timeline. A, a quick transition. <laughs> Three years. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. It's just so unbelievable. And you're just like learning. Like it, it seems like your learning curve is so steep, right? And not in a bad way, but just like you, you learn the lesson, you get the feedback, you make changes the next time you learn, 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 apply, apply, apply. And this whole thing about attrition, like you know, your now husband that was running alongside you, this is the pace you need to go. It's like, yeah, this is the pace I need to go if I'm going to last for a hundred miles. Right. And so was that a lesson you had to learn the hard way? Did you ever do a, an ultra race where you went out too fast? Oh, I absolutely have done that. Yes. Um, and, and sometimes you can salvage that and other times you can still finish, but you definitely pay the price. Uh, but having said that, I think in the grand scheme of strengths and weaknesses relative to ultra marathon running, I'm fairly good about not going out too, too fast. I, I'd say that I'm, I pride myself on running reasonably well in the second half of a race. Nice. And I mean, no matter the distance, that's, 
that's a really winning strategy from from everything that I've learned about running personally and picking the brains of of elite people for sure. But I've got your race results up here from Superior. And I'm going to spoiler alert everybody. Um, the next year she goes back and takes two hours off. And the next year she goes back and she takes another two hours off. And then two years later, you went back and took another hour and a half off, almost off. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So it does give you a sense that that first year, uh, while I managed to be the first person across the finish line, I still finished with a result that there was plenty of room to improve on. But I, you know, to give myself some credit, wanted to do that improvement and did put the work in. So then gradually from one year to the next had been able to take time off. And I, I hope that I can go back to that race again one day. And uh, I, I would love it if I could take a little more time off. I think that, uh, and I know uh, Jason Coop, who's a, a popular coach and writer and thinker in the uh, ultra marathon running world talks about how, and this would be true of road running as well, but like at a certain point, it takes a whole lot more work to yield a smaller margin of improvement. Mm -hmm. So eventually that's going, that's happening to me at superior where, uh, what it would take now to take two hours off of my finishing time, the level of, you know, uh, like focus and dedication and practice and sacrifice that might be required is going to be a whole lot more than it was back from 2014 to 2015. Yeah, I get that. That law of diminishing returns is is tough, right? (laughs) Well, and you were almost surgical in your approach at like finding those places where you could improve in that race specifically. And, and, you know, you've, you've blogged about, you know, all the, the technical, even, even aid station to aid station and sex section by section on that course, um, you really threw yourself into it and the results showed, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So now, so 2014, 15, 16, now that leads us into four years later, 2017, the big Western States lottery happens. And if I recall, Mallory is I don't know, camping in the middle of where were you, Spruce Woods, somewhere, because you didn't want to know the results until you came back into civilization of that lottery. Um, and you got in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so tell, tell us about that. Sure. Um, so let's see. I qualified for what the Western States lottery for the first time in 2013 and kept uh, putting my name in the lottery after that. And they draw the lottery results live. You can follow along online as they, you know, publish one name at a time. And I had been in the habit of checking. Uh, I remember once I was doing an indoor run at the YMCA on a track and every half hour or so I would uh, look at how many names had been published and, you know, look for mine. And it's heartbreaking because my name was never on the list. So in December of 2016 for the 2017 Western States race, I thought I'm not going to put myself through that. I'm going off grid. And so I went uh, and stayed went overnight in a cabin on the Epinet trail. And when I came back into cell service, I pulled over at this uh, abandoned house in Carberry and uh, turned my phone off of airplane mode And it kind of blew up where I got a few messages of people saying, hey, congratulations. And and even uh, at least one person saying, hey, I'll crew you if you're interested. 
So uh, it was it was really neat. And then the the race, because among trail runners, we sometimes call it like the Boston Marathon of trail running in the sense that if you have one bucket list race in North America, it's going to be that one. And I thought that that was a lot for any one race to live up to. But to be honest, it did. Uh, the course was beautiful. Uh, the people at it, like it was, uh, you know, a, a who's who at the front of the field. And so it was really neat getting to catch glimpses of these running celebrities. And the organization that put it on was just so top notch. And I went with a great group of friends. It's, uh, it's going to be one of my best memories. And, and that happened in the year I got married. So the fact that like, it's ranked so high on the list of best things that happened to me in 2017 is almost embarrassing. Well, and you know, I'm going to toot your horn for you so you don't have to. Um, you also crushed that race. You placed, you know, alas, 11th, but still that's awesome. 11th female. So for those who aren't in the ultra running world, the top 10 finishers at Western States in each you know, the male and female category get a buy into the next year's race. And so, you know, not to diminish your amazing performance at that race, placing 11th is just spectacular, but you know, it, it meant you had to go in the lottery again the next year. I did. Yeah. yeah but, but, but we were still like <laughs> screaming from home. We were just like, Oh my God, Mallory from Manitoba from like a floodplain 700 feet above sea level. You can easily run for 30 K and get 10 meters of gain in this city. She just played <laughs> 11th at Western States. Like it was just amazing. Yeah. So that leads me into a question. Maybe this is, um, a silly question, but where do you train uh, to, to prepare yourself for something like Western States when you live in on the prairies? Uh, well, when it comes to Western States specifically, I, I will say that I did a training camp where my brother was living in Golden, British Columbia at the time, and I have a girlfriend who lives in Squamish. So I did go visit them for over a week at uh, a point in the training cycle before the race where there was the most opportunity to put in a good hard week of training, tire out the legs, and then have them recover in time for the race. So I don't normally get to do that, but it really was nice in 2017. Until and including 2017, my husband worked in a lot of special events. So he was almost always working on the weekend, which meant that I didn't have plans and I could drive to more distant trailheads if I wanted to. So I have spent a lot of time training over the years at Spruce Woods Provincial Park. And when I'm training in Winnipeg, I'm not afraid to just do an entire long run at Garbage Hill. I have run up to 50 kilometers just going uh, over back and forth on Garbage Hill, which for non-Winnipeggers, it's uh, officially known as Westview Park, but it is a you know human-made hill that was a former landfill. And I don't know the exact vert, but it's like laughably little. Uh, so it, it takes a long time to, to get any real vertical at that place. Uh, otherwise, I did treadmill runs and I've lived in apartment buildings the entire time I've been in Winnipeg. So once I started running, I've done a lot of running and hiking up and down stairs too. You are very creative, I have got to say. <laughs> Hats off to you. It's all good mental training, right, Mallory? Like, 
if you can do half mile repeats, you know, it's with garbage hill at end to end, it's a half mile and you turn around, you come back, you got a full mile. If you can do that for 30 miles, I'd say you can do anything. So the mental benefit is there. Yeah. And it is fun to use training runs as a way to explore parts of the province and, you know, get outside the city and go explore some new trails. That was possible for me and working well when my weekends were free and I had a lot of free time, but I'm not sure going forward what that's going to look like. It's probably going to be a little bit harder to, you know, find eight hours, including the round trip commute to uh, go play on a favorite trail. So that's the perfect segue. You did a little bit of a uh, spoiler alert there. Um, Many of you might have heard a baby crying in the background in the first part of this podcast. And uh, here's a little bit of a um, uh, information. We are actually now recording a week and a half after we initially started this podcast because there's something new in Mallory's life and a lot has happened in the last year for her. So Mallory, tell us what's been going on with you in the last year. A lot. So like everyone, uh, the pandemic is probably one of the biggest things that has happened in my year. But it's been a year of highs and lows. I feel like, let's see, if we went back, because I think we started recording this podcast in September. So a year ago in September, I was on my way into the Superior 100 Mile Trail Race. And it was my fifth time at the race. And let's be honest, I was pretty open going into it. I was looking for my fifth win. I have won the race four times. And right now, four times is the record. Uh, Myself and one other woman have won the race four times each. And so if I was able to pull off a fifth win, I, I would have, you know, set a pretty stout record for most wins by any runner at that race. I wanted that record and I was hoping to improve on my time too, because I was pretty confident that I was more fit in 2019 than I was in 2018. Uh, As you know, Kim, I did not get the race I wanted. I I have to blame myself for that, but it hurt. Anyone who knows me knows that uh, I don't maybe look like your typical athlete living in Winnipeg, a hockey town. So many people, when they think athlete, they're thinking, you know, a guy who's at least least six feet tall in his twenties and like, you know, really muscular. And even when we think runner, we tend to think really live lean person and uh, hope maybe it's in my head, but I have never felt like I fit the mold before I came into running. When I first moved to Winnipeg in all of the upheaval, the stress that I was going through, one of the ways I was coping with that is I developed an eating disorder and it got better once I started like with the, the support of my now husband and some other things that went well in my life, like getting a job that I was really proud to land running has been wonderful for me that way because it's helped me appreciate how strong my body can be and to see it as something that has value, not just based on what it looks like. But all of that being said, there are still times in running where it's, you know, where I'm reminded that it I could benefit from losing a few pounds or at least that it feels that way. And there have been people along the line who have helpfully pointed that out 
and even if not to me specifically, if you pick up any issue of a running magazine, there's almost always a diet in there. And all of the elite athletes are always doing uh, an impressive, very uh, thorough diet that requires a lot of willpower because it rules out entire food groups. And when I go into high pressure training situations, I can get that monkey on my back again, where I feel like I should be doing more. And that happened to me uh, going into Superior, where I did some really great training. Uh, I was in excellent shape. And then I sabotaged it for the month before the race. And by the time I got to the starting line, I wanted to be there because I love that trail, but I didn't want to race. I didn't want to be a competitor. I didn't want anybody to pay attention to me. I didn't want to spend 20 plus hours with just myself on the trail. Uh, Normally going for a long run is such a wonderful time to get into your own head and process your thoughts and emotions. But when you're dealing with some dark and nasty emotions, the that many hours alone with yourself when you don't love yourself is a a terrible situation to be in you know you wrote about this story in your blog and you made a comment something to the effect of my mind never really started that race and it took 70 miles before my legs to figure that out too (laughs) and I you know it it goes back to absolutely how much of what we do is in the mind. Tell us about what happened. I started out aggressively trying to bank just a little bit of time over my splits in the previous year. I was aware that there would be risks of doing that. Like, you know, when you go out too fast, you might not have enough left in the tank later on. But we all know that if you're running a race, it's just accepted that if you're running to your full potential, the second half of the race is going to suck. It will not be comfortable. But if you're enjoying that kind of discomfort, then it's worth it. So I ran the first half aggressively, prepared for the second half to suck, and not realizing that, you know, I already had too much misery in my heart to, to heap on anymore. So when things happened, like my legs got fatigued and I got sleepy and I got nausea, uh, I did not have the heart to put up with it. You know, even though I was in the lead at the time, the idea of winning wasn't motivating. The idea of getting another buckle wasn't motivating. I just couldn't bear to be out there anymore. And that hurt because, uh, there, I don't know if there's good reasons or bad reasons to take a, a DNF did not finish, but I felt like at the time it was a failure of character or something. And so uh, I came back to the city and needed a little bit of time to lick my wounds and, you know, wallow in self-loathing and then kind of rally and remember the parts of myself that I do love and the person that I want to be and deserve to be and kind of had to figure out a plan of, okay, how do I get back to that? So uh, at that time I got onto a wait list for some, a treatment program and, you know, brought uh, close family and friends back into the folds to say kind of a, you know, I need the help right now. Um, please bear with me and have my back as I go through this again. And because I, this was a relapse, whereas I had my eating disorder more severely 
back around 2008, 2009, and have largely been in recovery since then. Uh, the relapse didn't last too long. And within a couple of weeks of Superior, the race felt like hitting rock bottom. And so when I realized that I DNF'd a race that mattered a lot to me, and I was so disappointed with the result, but that I was alive and so many other parts of my life were just fine. Uh, you know, like no one stopped loving me. Uh, I didn't lose a job or anything. Uh, my physical health, even like my legs, because I didn't cover the full hundred miles, bounced back fairly well. And that was an eye opener that made me realize that I was putting way too much importance on body image when there were so many other more important things in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, now with kind of a year behind you from that race, right? That was last fall. Mm -hmm. What has, because I think with, with some time and some space for reflection, insights just come up, especially if we're willing to go like, okay, what happened there? Like, what lessons can I learn? You know, what, what's, how is this situation happening for me rather than happening to me? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and you can sort of mine for some of those lessons. So with a year behind you and some space and some reflection, you know, what conclusions did you come to about that? Like, was it really like, it sounds like you did put a tremendous amount of pressure on yourself. So you're looking for anything that would give you a competitive advantage in that race and just all the expectations and, and like, could I win this for the fifth time? Like that sort of sounds like a perfect storm of, you know, circumstances that, that bring out kind of, uh, you know, things that are already there, I guess, in terms of like, if, if bulimia was there in your, in your past, I've heard people say it's sort of like always there. You're never like recovered, like with an ED on the end, you're kind of, well, I don't know. I would ask you that too. Like, do you, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like, yes, I thought I was recovered and this was like a relapse and it came out of nowhere or. Yeah. Um, I am still finding that what you said is true, that you don't get to use recovered in the past tense. And to be honest, like even to today, I find that so frustrating. I want to get to a point in my life where uh, that's sort of like the old Mallory. And this is the new Mallory who doesn't have to worry about those things and isn't haunted by uh, those nagging self-doubts. And I'm realizing that it's not that clean cut but I do make a point of reminding myself that maybe I don't want it to be that clean cut because there, there are plenty of lessons I can take out of that. And the last year has taught me so much about what really matters in life. Uh, as far as it goes with running, Superior wasn't my last race of 2019. I had already registered for one other race. It was a more competitive race. And I had never been on the course before. And so I went in with no real expectation and just wanted to have fun, kind of wanted to like get my groove back to prove to myself that although I had a disastrous race at Superior, it's not as if I had forgotten everything I had ever learned about ultra running. It was still in there in my head somewhere. And I just needed to find the mindset to let that come out and to execute a good race. 
And this was at Havelina in Arizona, and it was another 100-mile race. And I did have basically the perfect day. Those days where you run and it just feels so much fun. I had that race. And I think that was a really good step in the right direction because it reminded me that I don't need to quit running, but I need to be very mindful about how much pressure I can put on running, why I run and why I don't run and and what I'm not willing to sacrifice for running as far as myself. So that last race of the season did a lot to help me recalibrate my priorities. And that race last year was on October 26th. And then uh, just a few weeks later, I was on a plane for a work trip and I, I felt like I was going to puke. And so I, I went and bought a pregnancy test and got a result that again, just wound up changing priorities. I, I found out, and and as you mentioned with the baby in the background, yes, I, I have in the last year now had a baby. There's there's so much there that you just said. I want to just come back to a couple things. Let's highlight the fact that your experience at Superior happened in like the first week of September, correct? That's right. Yeah. And Havelina was October 26th. So we're talking six weeks. Yeah, it was a fast turnaround. Six, seven weeks. Okay, so not only did you have this deep dive into a dark hole, but you didn't stay there. (laughs) You bounced back pretty darn fast. And like you said, had a spectacular raise in a really competitive field. I will just toot your horn here. You placed third in that race, correct? That's right. Yeah. With some some pretty um, big names uh, in the other two spots on the podium. And then you ended up having a life-changing experience after. You now have a baby girl. And what's her name? Clara. Clara. So I really want to hear about your experience. First, let's start off with being pregnant and running. So every runner that gets pregnant has some periods of bargaining and, you know, (laughs) plans. And and those plans don't always come to fruition. Some people have stellar pregnancies where they just run like angels the entire time and other women struggle a little bit more. Um, Tell us about your experience uh, running with pregnancy. It it was tough. I did not feel like a runner uh, while I was pregnant. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, like the next day started getting hit with the the nausea and the fatigue. And that was demoralizing uh, because, you know, I wasn't visibly pregnant, wasn't telling anyone, anyone at that point. I was still processing what it meant to be pregnant because I hadn't expected 2019 to end that way. So all of that was tough to deal with. I mentioned that I'd put myself on a wait list for a treatment program for my eating disorder to kind of just go back to basics and relearn or like have strengthen my support network. And I remember that I found out I was going to have the baby before I would get off of the wait list. That was hard to hear. And then Having relapsed in an eating disorder, it was tough in the first trimester. Uh, The baby book I was reading mentioned, you know, you're not going to really gain any weight or you shouldn't in the 
first trimester, some people actually lose a little because with the nausea, they're not eating as much. I gained plenty of weight in the first trimester between, you know, I I was eating a lot of nan bread because that was good with the nausea, but then I would get home from work and just go right to sleep. So I was eating plenty. I wasn't running and getting those things that I loved. Basically the first three months of pregnancy sucked. I did start to get back to running a little more after that, but I just found that it was such a slog. I was having a good day if I was running a 12 minute mile, it felt like. And within a couple of months of that, a pandemic broke out. And I think for all of us, mid-March onwards, our lives changed so much and our priorities changed so much that I started working more And I was stressed because I couldn't see my family and friends. And there was so much uncertainty about the future. And so fitting in runs that felt really crummy just stopped mattering to me quite so much. And at that point, I I switched to hiking. And as soon as the provincial parks opened in late April for camping, I was out there on the weekends and I was exploring new trails whenever I could because I needed some way to connect with nature and needed some way to move my body, but it couldn't be about performance at that point. And so I still ran through my pregnancy, but not consistently. We're talking like two days a week, short, slow runs. It was not what I expected. One of the first things I did when I found out what I was pregnant was I picked up a a guide called the pregnant athlete that let me know that, you know, you can maintain a lot of the same activity while you're pregnant. And because for so long, women were prescribed bed rest and told to be extremely cautious during pregnancy to make up for those doom and gloom warnings, we're now hearing lots of stories about women who do amazing things while they're pregnant. And It's great to hear that they can do that and still have a healthy pregnancy, but I made the mistake of thinking that their experience would become my experience. And so uh, I, I had a different experience. I've been able to bounce back better since, but while I was pregnant, I was slow. Well, I mean, you were, you're top, you know, podium finisher, (laughs) elite athlete. So any, you know, change from that is is probably going to feel drastically different for you, but not to minimize your experience at all. But it just is a sharp contrast to what you were used to, right? Mallory, I mean, you mentioned you did gain some weight, you already had some body image issues or um, challenges. How was your sense of self during your pregnancy? I think it varied by trimester. The first one was the toughest. I probably had prenatal depression and talked to my doctor about that and was making sure to, you know, talk to family every day and leaning on my husband because I was just so nervous. And having just relapsed with my eating disorder, I had a lot of doubts in my mind about whether I was ready to be a mom and whether I could be the kind of mom I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to try, but I was really scared. And when I was putting on weight, there were days where I got nervous that it meant that who I was as a runner, that the life that I had known up to now, I was kind of kissing it goodbye and that there would be all of this unrealized potential. Uh, I would be, you know, sort of like a, a never was that I would never figure out 
the, you know, the, the nutrition component as a runner. Once I had uh, an ultrasound and I got to see the baby, I think a lot of that changed and I had an easier time picturing myself as a mother and, and realizing the exciting parts of what could be coming and realizing that even if I didn't figure out nutritionally how to be a super lean runner or have six pack abs, I was fully capable of figuring out how to make peace with my body, which was doing this incredible thing of growing a tiny human inside me. Like that is mind blowing. We all know that that's how babies are made, but it was academic to me before hypothetical. I I, seeing it and feeling it was really different. And so I, I think I learned to appreciate myself and and what I was capable of in a new way. And so uh, as the pregnancy went on, I kind of came around a little bit of a dip in mood at the end where I was just so tired of being pregnant. You know, it's very inconvenient by the time that you get so big. I definitely complained to running friends a couple of times that there are plenty of bad things about ultra marathons, but one of the great things about every ultra marathon that I've ever done is I've only ever done races in the format where you know when you start what the distance is. So you can count down, like you know that there's only three miles left. Whereas with a pregnancy, you you wake up every morning getting ready for work, being like, is this my last day at work? Will I have a baby today? And and just not knowing that that was frustrating. I, it made me aware of the maybe like the control freak that lives inside of me. <laughs> I had my children before I started ultra running. You you have the reverse experience where you've run hundreds before having baby. But I I I actually blogged myself that after I did a few ultras that you know running an ultra is very similar to having a child and going through childbirth. You you know, you go into it with this blissful idea. And then when you're in the middle of it, you're going, what was I thinking? I never want to do this again. And as soon as you have that child, you're like, sign me up for more. I'm going to have another one or I'm going to run another race. And, uh, you know, I, what did you experience that at all? Did you find that, you know, when you were going ready to have Clara that you're like, I can run a hundred miler. I can be a mom. To be honest, I was terrified about being a mom right up until I met her. Uh, yeah. And that might just be me. Now that she's in my life, and, and maybe one of the reasons why I've been enjoying the last few months so much is because it has absolutely hit me by surprise how much fun being a mom can be. It's tiring and it's like hard work, but it's not complicated so far. Uh, she's not yet three months old. So like the things she needs from me are, are not complex and you know if I'm gonna guess what she needs when she's crying the list of things that she might be after is fairly short so it's been a revelation to realize oh I can do this and I like doing it I think maybe that's the ultra running parallel for me because when I did my first 50k I didn't know either of those things either I think I just signed up for the challenge I wanted to be someone who could do it and then got into the race and realized that, yeah, I, I was that person and, and, you know, was so happy to make that discovery. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that's confidence right there, right? Like when we actually do something that we're not really sure we can do, and then we're like, oh, I can do that. Like, wow. 
I am awesome. Like, what else can I do? Like, it's that kind of um, feedback that you're getting that helps your confidence grow. But, you know, uh, life really does work in mysterious ways, doesn't it? And as I was listening to your story, I was really just kind of looking at it from a, from a, like, higher altitude in a way, just because I am removed from it a bit. But it's sort of like, it was all like, it was all perfection in that way. Like, you know, all of the things that happened, the lows um, helped you really appreciate the highs and helped you be able to, to shift your priorities and, and just the, you know, even, even all of it on the backdrop of COVID, right. Really probably helped you make peace with uncertainty in that way, because I think COVID has really brought to the surface for all of us. Like we don't know anything like we don't know what's going to happen in five minutes like we can think that we know but we we really don't know and as I listen to your story I really see that possibly the lesson and I'd love to to hear if this is the way that you're seeing it now too is that everything that's happened particularly in the last year has maybe helped you separate that your value and your worth is is different and separate from, you know, your accomplishments or, or the way you look, right? And you had to go through all of that. That was just your journey to go through and realize like, hey, there's blessings, no matter like, if I finish this race or don't finish this race, you know, if I'm this size or that size, it's all, you know, I'm worthy and valuable and deserving and lovable regardless of what I achieve or what I accomplish. Is that, is that kind of the way that you're seeing it now with more altitude? I think so. Um, I definitely do feel that way about running where it does not have the same pressure as before because it's an important piece in who I am, but I've got a couple of new pieces in my identity now. So if in the future. And it's almost inevitable. We all have races that don't go as well as we'd like. So the next time that I have a race that I describe as disappointing or disastrous, it will not define me. It can't, there's just too much else going on in my life. As far as body acceptance, I hope that that's what happens. And so far it does feel that way that I, you know, feel more comfortable in my own skin, but I am nervous that you know, like right now I'm what, two and a half months postpartum. And there's like, it's, it's understood that I will look like I've had a baby recently. The media is full of transformation stories of people who, you know, within six months or a year of having a baby look fabulous every now and then, like the magazines at the checkout aisle at the grocery store will feature those. And I am aware that there is the risk that on a bad day, I'll feel pressure to conform to that story or to bounce back like some of my, you know, role models and heroes have. I just have to hope that, you know, between having rallied my support network and like actively sought professional treatment, that when those pressures come again in the future, I'll be better equipped to withstand them and know how to, you know, put it all in perspective. Uh, like you said, it has been <laughs> quite a year. And, and so I have learned a lot that will help me when that happens. And I think that whether you had a baby or not in the last year, uh, I've found that so many of my friends, we have parallels for what our 2020 has looked like, where there have been highs and there have been lows. 
And at the end of the day, we don't really regret anything that happened, but it's been a lot to cram into one year. Oh, for sure. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, Okay. So just before we wrap up, I do have a couple more questions for you. Um, So taking a little bit of a a different direction, uh, you are um, a North Face athlete. You run for the North Face. And I'm just curious how they have treated you during your pregnancy with all that's been in the media about sponsorship and female athletes losing their sponsors when they get pregnant. How, what has been your experience? My contacts with the North Face were amazing. Uh, I reached out to them earlier this year before I announced publicly that I was pregnant and wrote them, wrote to them, letting them know that I was expecting that I wouldn't be racing this year, that I wasn't going to make a goal of training hard through my pregnancy, that any physical activity I did would be for my own physical and mental well-being. And I wrote the email in a way where I left the door open that if they didn't want to renew me as a regional running ambassador, I would be totally fine with that. And they, their response was to send me baby gear, uh, North Face baby clothing. And so that was really touching and phenomenal. And you're right that it's great because there had been high profile stories. I think Nike was called out for, and there are probably other brands too, uh, in the road running scene for not renewing women's contracts if they took time off to have a baby and not giving them any financial security. And we're talking about women where running is their living. And it turned out that the North Face has a policy that they will not end anyone's contract because of pregnancy. And so I was one of the beneficiaries of that and really grateful for it. Well, that just makes me love that brand all the more. Um, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's that's amazing. And I think it's a it's represents a leap in like we're there's progress happening on this front, which is really, really exciting. And I think it's also um, a shout out to the women that have stood up and said, you know, this is not right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so glad to hear you had a good experience with them because uh, you deserve it. Well, thanks. And, and you're exactly um, right that though the women who went through this before me and did talk about it, I like, it's very frustrating that they had to go through that and they deserved to be treated better because they are incredible athletes who had have so much athletic potential beyond and during pregnancy. But if it's any solace to them, uh, yes, I, I am one of the people who benefited from them raising attention to that issue. That's great to hear. Okay. So after everything, after you've told us this incredible story of yours, and I know this is, it's not over, like your, your life story is just taking a turn now into a whole new chapter. But looking back, if you could say anything to your younger self, or now I can say to your daughter about her body image and relationship to food and sport, what would it be? Hmm. I think you're so much more than how you look. I think there have been times when 
I needed to hear that in the past. And there are still days where I tell myself that. And I hope that I'll be able to tell her that. And then I think too, and, and maybe everyone needs to hear this sometimes, but when it comes to running and athletic performance and competition and physical appearance, at the end of the day, if you're not a pro athlete, and probably even when you are a pro athlete, you're really doing it for yourself. And, you know, we joke sometimes about how running is a selfish pursuit and some people make us feel bad for the time that we take away from our families to do it. But I actually think it's incredibly liberating to think about running as a selfish pursuit because it means that we don't answer to anybody. We, you know, people might have an opinion on how you look or how you're running and it doesn't matter. And I think sometimes it just, it's important to remind ourselves of that in a loving way where there will be people who cheer us on and it's great to keep them in our fold. But if there are naysayers or anyone who's putting you down, it is okay to tune that out. A hundred percent. Yes. Like finding that, cultivating that really um, supportive network in, in your life is huge. And, and you being right at the center of it, right? Like the way the way you talk to yourself even is, is sort of part of that support network, right? Like, and, and I always love that. I like that question, Kim, because it's sort of like anything that we, I find we're naturally more encouraging and supportive to other people often than we are to ourselves. So, you know, if you can imagine someone else, what would I say to someone else? What would I say to my daughter? You know, what would I say to my younger self? That's easier in some ways than to think, what, what, what would I tell myself? Because often we're so hard on ourselves. We're so critical of ourselves. We're our own like worst enemy a lot of times. So I love that. So what is next for you? Are you itching to get back on the trails and, and have that solo time? Or are you content with where you're at? What What's next? I'm running again and I'm loving it so much. I cannot get over how much fun it is just to go for a run and, you know, throw in strides, but otherwise just take it easy and let running feel like playing. Uh, It's amazing. I hope that, you know, in the years ahead, I don't completely lose that. Although I am weirdly looking forward to a certain number of runs per week that aren't the same type of fun and have, you know, this, that dose of like suffering and challenge built in because the type two fun. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Those runs that at the end of it, you really do feel like you've grown as an athlete and a person and, you know, like been able to push some of the worries out of your head because just pure physical suffering occupied all of your brain space for a little while. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, Mallory, if you haven't figured that out already, many women get much faster after they have children because they have to run faster to be back in the door for their baby that's waiting for something. So there's nothing more motivating than have to pick your up picking, sorry, your child up from daycare or needing to feed them to make you run faster. So just watch. I have already noticed that I don't procrastinate getting out the door any longer. (laughs) Okay, well, I can't wait to hear about what's um, coming up for all of us in 2021, but particularly you. And if you do end up doing some races, um, I'm sure they will be for all the right reasons and they will be filled with 
a new appreciation for uh for what you've got out there for sure thanks um yeah so we end each episode with five rapid fire questions if you've listened to any of our episodes already you'll know what's coming so let's start off with mallory what is your favorite mantra i i do tell myself sometimes this is what you came for and it's my way of reminding myself that when a training run or a race gets tough, that that is exactly the point. Mm, that's a great one. We haven't had that one yet. It's really, really good. Next question. Where would you run tomorrow if you could teleport yourself anywhere in the world to run? Where would it be? I would run on Canadian Shield or Precambrian Shield. I spent all my summers growing up in a part of Ontario that's rocky and full of lakes and you know lots of rolling hills and it's just like the superior 100 course and it would be like the white shell provincial park in manitoba mm -hmm. and that terrain I, it could be any one of those three locations but that terrain is where i would go running what run is on your bucket list that you haven't done yet I think I would like to do one of the UTMB family of races one day, the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. Uh, there are some races and they range in distance from 50 kilometers to 100 miles. And the longer ones uh, run around Mont Blanc. And so if you do the full 100 mile distance, I think you end up going through four different countries. And it's probably the biggest ultra marathon in the world. Uh, that makes me nervous about it. Uh, like that many people on a starting line, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with because I launched right into trail running, but the atmosphere of the race, so few trail races get fans along the course mm -hmm. that I, I need to see that once before I die. <laughs> well, you and me both, my bucket list race is CCC. It's the hundred K there. So maybe we'll go together. Oh, I, yes, I, I will hold you to that. <laughs> If you guys need crew, I can come along. Yes, please. Okay. Next question. Do you have a favorite running book or movie? Uh, so it's not about running specifically, but my favorite book that I go back and reread just over like roughly every year is uh, The Sports Gene by David Epstein. Mm. And book. it's not necessarily motivational. It's just so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I love that it reminds me that we all have a certain amount of built-in potential uh, to be great at some sport or other. And then that some of it is not built in at all and is, you know, only what you cultivate through habits and mindset and practice so I like that. Plus, he's just such a phenomenal writer that, you know, he, he produces nonfiction page turners because Kim, you've read Range, right? Oh, yes. It's a good one. And you actually mm -hmm. gave me your copy of Sports Gene, which I haven't finished yet. I need to get back in that. Oh, you should do it. What our final question is, what is your favorite post run indulgence? Ah. Uh, so this one only really applies in the winter, but if I do my long run outside and, and I don't know if I'm going to have to revise this now that I have a baby because it's a bit of a time consuming ritual, but I love to get in the door and have a hot shower and then just like lay in bed for 20 minutes and be warm after having spent all of that time outside in like a Manitoba winter. 
I love this answer because I think you're the first person to not say a food. But you're so right. That feels so indulgent and so great. Like, let's hop in the bath and, and just have some time. Okay, I like that answer. Yeah, who has baths at like 11 in the morning or noon after a long run, right? Like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even if it's a shower, just the, a longer shower than it needs to be and like a hot shower so that, you know, all of those parts of you that the circulation maybe wasn't like flowing through as much, kind of like if they warm up and they're like, hey, your thighs still exist. You know, that, that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> as said by a true Canadian runner. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I can hear that uh, maybe Clara is needing her mommy again. So we're just going to wrap this episode up. And Mallory, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you. You are so articulate and such a great storyteller. And I just have really enjoyed hearing everything you've had to say. And I'm sure many other people will too. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It has been a lot of fun interviewing with you. And uh, yeah, it's been great chatting because uh, I'm about to go hang out with someone who doesn't yet appreciate my, you know, ability to be articulate and things like that. So. <laughs> but I still well, love her. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have enjoyed this conversation tremend tremendously. Um I have actually I'm learning so much about the ultra running world. So I think this could be a bit dangerous because, you know, I may take it up someday. But no, it's been super fun uh talking with you. I've really appreciated your honesty and your vulnerability, especially in this conversation, um, sharing so openly with us. I know it's going to really, really serve a lot of people. So thank you so much for that. And I wish you all the best in your uh, future races and motherhood. Thank you. All right. I've got to run. I will see you on the trails. Okay. Bye, Mallory. Bye. Bye.